Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, a great blessing for me to be able to join you here. Um, we wish, of course, this could have been a, a live event in Poland, but um, nevertheless, we're happy that we can gather uh, this way through Zoom. So from, ever, from whatever country you are, uh, welcome. Uh, perhaps you can just write in the chat where you're from, which country you're watching from, so we can see uh, who's with us uh, today. Uh, I've been looking forward to um, share God's word with you. I'm uh, very thankful for the theme uh, that has been uh, chosen for this conference, Ask. And uh, I believe that uh, we're living in a crucial time where we need to spend more time with God in prayer and communion and ask him for, um, for the blessing that he wants to give us. So we have Spain represented here. Welcome. And Slovenia. Any other countries from where you're watching? You could just write it in the chat. Uh, I myself, I'm coming to you from beautiful Norway, uh, all the way in the north of Europe. Uh, I'm not originally, ah, we have Romania, welcome. Uh, I'm not originally, Portugal, great. Last year we were in Portugal with GYC. <laughs> I'm not originally from Norway, but I'm uh, born in New Zealand, but I married a Norwegian, and so I've been uh, living in Norway actually for the last, um, uh, soon, yeah, about 17 years now actually. And um, I work here as a pastor and evangelist, and we also run a ministry, so, which some of you might be familiar with. It's called Living Water. And um, yeah, if you want to check that out, you can go to our website, livingwater.no, and you'll find um, lots of resources there. Well, what I'm going to share with you today, this is a workshop, um, and the title for the workshop is um, Caught in the Crossfire, The Great Controversy and You. And uh, I think we're all aware that we're living in this great battle between good and evil, and the Bible portrays this battle. And uh, we're going to look at some texts in the Bible that are going to help us to navigate our way through this battle. But also, we're going to look at some texts that really show us um, a picture of what is going on behind the scenes and how we can come closer to God um, during this battle between good and evil. So I'm going to have a word of prayer and uh, ask God to be with us and to bless us and to guide us. And uh, also, uh, towards the end of, uh, of, uh, of this time, of our time together, uh, there will definitely be time for questions. So if you have any questions during the presentation, just note them down. And then towards the end, we will definitely have time to, uh, to share together. So let's, uh, let's start with a word of prayer, shall we? Our mighty Heavenly Father, um, we are privileged and thankful to be able to gather together this way through Zoom to study your word this morning. We wanna thank you for how you have blessed and led this conference so far. And uh, we've come now to the last day. And uh, we ask Lord that you'll be with us in a special way this day also, be with all the workshop presenters, be with all participants, help us to be drawn closer to you through these moments together. And may you speak to our hearts. I ask that your Holy Spirit will do a work that we cannot do. And I pray, Lord, and claim the promise in Isaiah 55 and verse 11, where it says that your word will not return unto you void, but accomplish in that which you are pleased. So let your word accomplish what it, what it will and what, it, and what you want it to this morning through this presentation and through our time together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, I hope you have your uh, Bibles with you. Uh, because we will be looking at uh, a couple of texts together. Um, we're actually going to be look at, looking at uh, three passages in Scripture that I want to explore together with you. 
uh, on the topic of the great controversy between good and evil. And I believe that these three passages will help us to see with greater clarity uh, what is happening around us and the reality uh, that we live in. We are indeed caught in the crossfire. Uh, there's a battle going on that is raging in this universe, and it has been raging in this universe for thousands of years. And sometimes we forget uh, that we are part of this great controversy. And sometimes we are not aware of the unseen realities that are happening around us. So uh, it's my prayer that through these passages that we're going to look at, that we will be made aware of this controversy, but also that we will see uh, how we can participate by placing ourselves, by choosing to be on the winning side uh, in this battle, that we can take a stand together with Jesus. So um, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to our first passage, which is 2 Kings. And as I said, we're going to look at specifically at three passages. And our first passage will be taken from the Old Testament, the book of 2 Kings and chapter 6. And uh, what I find so fascinating is um, the Bible, in many ways, is a, a historic book. It reports, it records the history of from the beginning of the world and, you know, throughout, throughout the ages. But not only does it record history as to what happened a um, long time ago, but it also gives us insights into this greater battle that is taking place. It, just, it doesn't only record the physical battles that happened in history, but it also pictures the spiritual battle that has been raging. And I think that the passage, this first passage that we'll be looking at in 2 Kings chapter 6, uh, really um, shows us uh, this reality. It's quite a fascinating story. Uh, some of you might be familiar with it. In 2 Kings chapter 6, we read about how the king of Syria, which is north of, of Israel, um, made war against Israel. They attacked Israel. They did this a number of times. But to their surprise, every time as the king of Syria was attacking Israel, uh, the armies of Israel were awaiting them. And so they thought, okay, now we're going to attack somewhere where they don't know that we're going to come. But then suddenly they are there, um, ready to meet them. And so the king of Syria is very frustrated. And he's wondering, like, why is this happening? And um, he's together with his men in his chamber, and they're talking about this in his palace, and they're talking about this. And, and suddenly one of his servants says, um, oh, there's a problem. There's a prophet in Israel, and he is telling all the secrets to the king of, to the king of Israel. So um, instead of there being a spy that was revealing this you know, strategy information about where they were going to attack, there was actually a prophet in Israel that had received revelations from God and had been telling the king of Israel exactly where Syria was going to attack. Uh, this prophet is a well-known prophet in the Old Testament. His name is Elisha. Uh, he was... Um, the prophet that followed Elijah. And these are two well-known prophets in the Old Testament. So uh, the king, king of Syria thinks to himself, well, um, I just need to get rid of this prophet. If I can get rid of Elisha, the prophet, then um, there will be no more obstacles and I will be able to invade Israel and conquer uh, their cities. So he finds out where Elisha is. And what he does is he sends an entire army to take 
Elisha captive. Elisha at that time, together with his servant, was in a city called Dothan. And uh, so the king of Syria invades uh, the land and makes his way to Dothan, and he surrounds the city. Uh, the prophet wakes up in the morning, and his servant wake up in the morning, and they look over the walls of the city, and they see this huge army uh, that has surrounded them. And the first response of Elisha's servant is great fear. He is afraid. He's terrified by this sight. And uh, this is where we're going to pick up the story. So if you have your Bibles and you've turned to 2 Kings uh, chapter 6, we will begin in verse 15. 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning in verse 15. The Bible says, And when the servant of the man of God aroused early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Now here comes verse 16, look at this. So he answered, do not fear for those who are with us. Do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And here comes the first little hint of there's something more taking place than what the physical eye can see. Because the servant, the servant of Elisha sees the armies of Syria, sees the armies of the enemy. He is terrified, he's afraid. Elisha says, those that are with us are more than those that are with them. Now for the servant, this was um, difficult to understand because he didn't see any great army that was going to protect them. Uh, he didn't see any soldiers that were surrounding them. Um, he could only see the, the army of the enemy. And so in order for the servant to see something more of what was taking place, Elisha prayed a prayer. Elisha asked, remember, that's the theme of this conference, to ask. Take notice what Elisha asks the Lord to do for his servant. This, this, is, this is phenomenal. This is, this is powerful. This is really transformational when we understand uh, this prayer, because I believe it's a prayer that we should all pray for ourselves and for those around us. Now, take notice of this prayer in verse 17. It says, and Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. A very simple prayer, very profound prayer. I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So there is a physical army that is attacking the city of Dothan, in order to take Elisha captive. And then there is the Lord's army. And the Lord's army is present to protect Elisha and his servant. But the Lord's army can only be seen with spiritual eyes. And so the prayer of Elisha for his servant is, open his eyes that he may see. And suddenly the eyes of the servant are opened and he sees these fiery, um, chariots, these angels that are there to protect him and the prophet. And when I read this story and I contemplated this story, I thought to myself, you know, this is a prayer that we should pray in the year, in the year 2020. Because, you know, 
Um, sometimes we read these Old Testament stories and we think, wow, they're fascinating, they're exciting, they're great, but you know, how does this relate to us today? I believe it's very important for us to pray a similar prayer, to say to God, open my eyes, Lord, that I may see, because so often I forget that I'm involved in this spiritual battle between good and evil. So often I forget or I'm not aware that I'm actually caught in the crossfires, that there's a, that there's a God and, and there's an enemy and there is a war raging and it's, this is a cosmic war. It began before creation, but it is taking place today uh, between Lucifer, this fallen angel and Christ. And uh, I'm in the midst of this battle. And we need to remind ourselves of that. We need to be intentional about praying that God will remind us and make us aware of this battle. And what is so encouraging with the story that we just read is that Elisha says to his servants, they that are with us are more than those that are with them. In other words, God's army is greater. And uh, sometimes we feel outnumbered in this world. Sometimes we face challenges, struggles, trials, and we feel that we're alone. Sometimes we feel very lonely with our faith, maybe uh, in your school setting, at your university, or uh, at your job, or in your neighborhood. Maybe sometimes you feel like, you know, is it just me? <laughs> maybe even in your church you feel at times lonely. Uh, you know, it, you can even feel that in church. You just think, ah, I need some more spiritual support. And when that spiritual support is lacking, it's good to go back to these stories and to remind ourselves that, that there's an unseen battle taking place and God is the victorious one and he is on our side and he can open our eyes to see this. Now, when I say open our eyes, it doesn't necessarily mean that you will see physical angels around you. Now, I, I do know some people that have um, had that experience or claim to have that experience, that, that that would be absolutely amazing. So if that ever happens to you, then well, praise God. And it's never happened to me, and, but I would love to see an angel one day. But, but this is not so much the point of seeing it with my physical eyes. Uh, I believe that there's something deeper going on here, and that is that God wants to give us spiritual eyesight. He wants us to view uh, the world uh, through the scriptures. The scriptures become the lens through which we look at things around us, through which we view the world around us. You know, I, for many years, I, I, I worked and I still do as, a, as an evangelist. Um, now I'm also pastoring a church here in Norway, but I was traveling for, for many years to different countries holding evangelistic series. And um, there's something that I would often say um, on opening night, when we would open the evangelistic series, um, I would say something like this. I would say, uh, you know, well, I would welcome the people and um, I would acknowledge that there were all types of people there because oftentimes people would come that were believers, that, uh, but also people that were skeptical towards the Bible, but were willing to come and, 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 uh, and follow, the, follow the series. And so what I would say is something like this. I would say, what I invite you to do is to take the Bible and think of the Bible like a pair of glasses. And think of the Bible as a pair of glasses. And I want you to put on these glasses and I want you to view the world through Bible prophecy, through scripture, through the revealed word. And um, if you don't like the glasses, you know, you can, you can take them off again or you can put them away. But, but for this series, for this moment, 
I want you to give the word of God a chance in your life. And I want you to view the world through the scriptures and see, um, um, and, and, and see what you think about this, see how you experience this. And, and so people come, you know, and, um, and we study the Bible and people start getting a new worldview. They start seeing things that are happening around them through the passage, the passages of scripture, through the revealed word. And it is an incredibly beautiful world that we behold. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's a world of uh, peace and safety. We see the great controversy raging and we, we have a new understanding of the origin of evil, but we also have an understanding of the power of the gospel and the love of God and, and the plan and purpose of God for our lives. So it's an incredible uh, pair of glasses to view the world through. And what I many times have experienced in God's glory is that when people have put on those glasses, they don't want to take them off. And maybe this is an experience that you have had, you know, where once you start studying the Bible, you're like, I can't think of viewing the world in any other way than what the scripture has informed me. Um, I, I'm so grateful, you know, when I read the news and when I look at what the world is, is going through right now, and it's just literally spinning out of control and so many things are happening. I am so grateful for the perspective that scripture gives me. I'm so grateful for Bible prophecy that informs me about the times that we're living in and that gives me hope uh, for the future. And so, you know, don't take off those glasses, keep them on, let, 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 the, let the, the Bible inform your worldview, let the scripture uh, give you perspective uh, in times where great perspective is needed. You know, there are many people that go through life blind. And when I say that, I'm not talking about physically blind. And certainly there are people that are physically blind. But, but what I mean when I say that the majority of people go through life blind is that the majority of people do not see the world through the scriptures. Um, sadly, many people never see the most important realities in life. You know, they might, you know, they see what, what we all see, you know, we, we, we put on our clothes in the morning, we, we eat breakfast, we go to our jobs, we see our colleagues, we, you know, we, we, we go on vacation and we do the things that we do in life, you know, we study, we work, we sleep, we have friends and we, and we, we see all that is going on with our physical eyes. But, but then there are these realities that we don't see. I mean, there's these things happening around us all the time. There's this there's this battle between good and evil that is ranging. There are angels that are, you know, uh, doing their thing and guiding people. And, and then there's this incredible message of the gospel of Jesus. And, and, um, and as we preach and proclaim this message, there's these unseen realities that are happening in the hearts and lives of people as they're turning from darkness to light. And all of this um, is happening. And, and, and sadly, many people don't see this. They go through life blind. Uh, but God has given us a work to do. So um, think about this GYC Europe. Think about this young person or older person, whoever is listening here today. Think about this. God has given us a call to pray, to pray that God will open our eyes. It's a prayer that you can pray for yourself but it's also a prayer that God wants you to pray for other people around you. God wants you to pray that prayer 
that Elisha prayed over his servant. Just like Elisha prayed for his servant, open his eyes, you can pray for yourself, but also for others. Lord, open, open my eyes, open their eyes. And you will see something very fascinating happen. Uh, a little bit later into this, when we've got through our three passages here, I'll, I'll share a couple of experiences that I've had very recently um, with praying for people for God to open their eyes. It's fascinating what God can do when we pray that prayer. Um, you know, do you remember the story in the Bible when we talk here about being uh, able to see or being blinded? There's this story in the Bible um, about um, angels that uh, show up to protect uh, another man. Uh, here we're reading about Elisha and his servants that are protected by the angels. And, and we're not going to read the rest of the passage, but if you want to go back and later and read it, you read how, you know, they tried to attack Dothan and then suddenly they were blinded. They could no longer see. And Elisha, he leads them to another place. He leads them right into the, um, right to the king of Israel and to the soldiers. And then, uh, and then they, um, he prays for them and they can see again. Uh, but he's merciful towards them. He gives them a good meal and sends them home and they never came back again. So it's quite a fascinating story how that all ends. But there's another story in the Bible about angels that blinded people. And maybe some of you already um, know which story I'm referring to. Uh, remember Lot in the city of um, Sodom and uh, the angels visit him, those two angels. And then there's this riot that breaks out or they, these people that want to, you know, get into the house and uh, the angels, they blind the eyes of those that were trying to break in. Uh, so we have another story of, um, of angels blinding people. Um, it's fascinating because um, in the New Testament, we have a story about Jesus healing a blind man. And um, it's in John chapter 9. And uh, when, when, when Jesus heals the blind man, uh, the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes, the, the, the leaders, they get very angry. Um, and um, eventually they actually cast the man out of the synagogue. Um, it's interesting because um, when they challenge Jesus and when they are angry at Jesus because of the miracle that he performed and that he's not giving so-called glory to God, um, which of course he did, but he's here under the attack of the leaders, Jesus says something remarkable. He himself is God. <laughs> he says something remarkable. He says to the scribes and Pharisees that they are blind. And, and they say, yeah, what, what? and they, 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 are, they are totally perplexed. And they're like, what are you saying? We can see. But what Jesus was talking here, talking about here, was not that they were physically blind, but that they were spiritually blind. They could not see the most important thing that was happening before them. The Messiah was standing before them, the chosen one, the, the, the one that was fulfilling all the prophecies of the Old Testament, the one that they had waited for for centuries is standing before them. He has just performed an incredible miracle and they cannot discern that he is the one. They were blind. They were spiritually blind. You know, you have different types of people in the world. You have those that are physically blind. I mean, physically cannot see, but they can spiritually see. Um, I actually know some people like that. They are physically blind, but actually they can spiritually see. They have a faith in the Bible. They have a faith in God's word. They have a faith in the truth um, that God has revealed. And so spiritually they can see. Then you have those that are
Mm, I think we lost his connection. Daniel? Oh, okay, uh, we lost. We lost you for the last minute. Oh, okay. So uh, you lost me here a little bit. Okay, I'll just recap a little bit what I uh, what we what we're going through here. Uh, we're looking at the story in Second Kings chapter six, the story of um, Elisha and his servant, and uh, how God um, laid it upon the heart of Elisha to pray that prayer, open his eyes, and the eyes of the servant were open; they could see that God was with them. Um, and we're talking about what it means to be blind or what it means to see. And uh, it's very fascinating because, you know, we, in the Bible, we get, we, we, we again and again and again have this picture of how God wants us to, to see spiritually. You know, we have a physically, physically we can see things around us, but God wants us to give us uh, a spiritual eyesight to behold uh, this great controversy between good and evil and to see the gospel for what it really is. And the last thing I was saying before I got cut out or before our connection uh, was lost was um, how you have these different people in the world. You know, you have people in the world that are physically blind, but they can spiritually see. Um, then you have people that are um, physically uh, and spiritually blinded. And then you have those that can, that, that those that can um, spiritually are able to, are, are blinded, but they can physically see. And then you have those that are physically and spiritually can see. So you have these uh, four categories, so to speak. And um, the most important thing is that we can spiritually discern, that we can see the world that God has revealed to us um, through his word, the great controversy between good and evil and the gospel message. And I was referring to the story in John 9, where um, Jesus heals the man that was blind from his birth. He was physically blind. Uh, Jesus heals him. But not only does he start seeing, but he also sees Jesus and he accepts him as the Messiah. And so the man in John chapter 9 goes from being physically and spiritually blind to being physically and spiritually healed. And he can see his eyes are opened literally, physically and spiritually. And then, and then Jesus says something remarkable towards the end of the chapter. He says that the leaders um, that are accusing him and this man, that they are blind. And they say, yeah, what are you talking about? We can see. And obviously Jesus is talking about that they are spiritually blind. And so uh, from this first passage that we've looked at in 2 Kings 6, we are reminded of the importance to pray. We are reminded of the importance to pray that our eyes will be opened, not only our own eyes, but the eyes of those around us. I want to share with you uh, a sentence here from um, a book, Selected Messages, Second Selected Messages. This is from uh, uh, Alan White wrote this, and it's very encouraging when it comes to what is happening behind the scenes. Listening, listen to this. Ministering angels are waiting about the throne to instantly obey the mandate of Jesus Christ to answer every prayer offered in earnest living faith. Now, I just want you to grasp that for a moment. The throne of God, we can't see it, but you know, spirit, with our spiritual eyes, we can see it. We, can, we, can, we know it's there. And around the throne of God, there are these angels and they are waiting. They are waiting for our prayers. And when our prayers come, to the throne room, 
and we need help. We are pleading for help and we're pleading for God to intervene or to work in our life or in the work in the life of someone else. It says here that Christ is waiting to answer those prayer, prayers. He's waiting to send those angels uh, as we ask. So let us ask more frequently. Let us seek and plead for God to open the eyes of those that are around us. So with that first passage in mind, we're going to move to our second passage now. So if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Daniel, uh, the Old Testament book of Daniel, and you can turn to chapter 10. And we're going to look at a second scenario um, of, um, on this topic of caught in the crossfire, the great controversy and you, and how the great controversy is we, we get a little bit of a peek behind the scenes of the great controversy in this passage, and we'll see how this relates to us. I believe this will be a text that, um, that is um, very interesting for us to consider also with our own experiences that we often go through when it comes to prayer. Okay, so we're in Daniel chapter 10, and I'm gonna give you a little bit of a historical context first so that we can um, grasp what is happening here. So Daniel 10, I'll begin in verse 1, and the Bible says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. This message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. So Daniel obviously is occupied with something uh, here that he is fasting for, at least partially he's fasting and he's praying and he is in sorrow, he's mourning. Something is taking place that, that is concerning him. And when you put a little bit of the historical puzzle pieces together, uh, we find out quickly that what Daniel is praying for here and fasting for and, and, and mourning for is concerning the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Now, if you remember a little bit of the story, uh, Daniel was, grew up in Jerusalem. He was taken captive by Babylon. Uh, together with his friends, they were taken to Babylon where he lived for many, many years. Um, but now we've come to the latter part of Daniel's life. He's an old man now. And um, the Jews have started to return to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, to rebuild the temple. Um, as a matter of fact, this was something that was prophesied in scripture, that uh, when Medo-Persia would come and Cyrus would come, that he would give the command for the Jews to return and rebuild the city. And we even have a text in the Bible. Uh, we won't go there, but you can look it up later if you would like. It's, um, it's in Second uh, Chronicles. Uh, chapter 36 and the last verses there, verse 22 and 23, it says that in the first year of Cyrus, he gave the command to the Jews to return and to build the temple. That was the first year of Cyrus. Now, according to the text that we just read in Daniel 10, we are now in the third year of Cyrus. So we're a few years into this project of the Jews returning and rebuilding the city. But things are not going as they had planned. There is a lot of resistance. And uh, if you remember uh, the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, you can read a little bit about the resistance that they, uh, that they met when they were trying to rebuild the city. And it was fierce and things weren't going well. And, and the messages are getting back to Babylon that, you know, 
um, of all that is taking place. And Daniel is a little bit discouraged and he starts fasting and praying and mourning. And the Bible says in Daniel chapter 10 that this was taking place for three weeks. And I want you to just keep that time period in mind because it's going to be important for us as we progress in this passage. For three weeks, Daniel is praying and fasting and mourning about the situation. Now, let's look at what happens next. This is quite fascinating. Daniel chapter 10. And um, I'm just going to continue to read from verse 4. And you can follow along in your Bible. It says, Now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of Urpas. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them so that they hid they fled to, uh, to hide themselves. Therefore, I was left alone when I saw this great vision and no strength remained in me for my vigor was turned to frailty in me and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. This is quite, quite a common scene that you find throughout scripture where when, when, when uh, an angelic being or Jesus himself reveals himself to to a prophet that the prophet is just, you know, loses all his strength. It's like so powerful, so majestic, so beautiful um, that they just, you know, they just fall to the ground. And this is what is happening to the prophet. And then it says in verse 10, look at this. Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, oh, Daniel, man, greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for I have now been sent to you and while he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. So uh, Daniel is now, the, the angel is approaching him. And by the way, when you look at the context here, it's, it's none other than the angel of Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, that we also read about in Daniel chapter 9, that is sent to Daniel when he's praying. Um, in Daniel chapter 9, you can look a little bit and compare those two chapters um, later. It's very interesting. In Daniel 9, Daniel prays, and the angel Gabriel is sent to him. Here in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel prays and he fasts and he mourns for three weeks. And now the angel Gabriel, the same angel that came to him in chapter 9, is coming to him here in chapter 10. First, he sees Jesus, this being that is portrayed there, which is very similar to the being that is portrayed to John in the book of Revelation chapter 1. Very similar scene. He sees Jesus. He falls to the ground. Then Gabriel approaches him, touches him, and now speaks these words to him. But the words that Gabriel speaks to him in Daniel chapter 10 are quite fascinating when you think of this, this picture of the great controversy that is taking place and also how this connects uh, with prayer. Take notice what he says here. Verse 12, he says, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have now come because of your words. Now think about this. When did Daniel start to pray specifically for those issues that he was occupied with, the return of the Jews and the rebuilding of the city of the Jerusalem? In the beginning of the chapter, we find out three weeks, three weeks. And the angel Gabriel 
confirms to Daniel, uh, he, he, he speaks these words to Daniel and says, you have been heard from the first day. Now, this already is just, is just kind of very encouraging because I don't know about you, but I think we can all relate to this. Have you ever prayed specifically for something, but you didn't always sense that you got an answer immediately? Have you ever experienced that you prayed for something more than once? Have you ever experienced that you felt that time went by and there was seemingly no answer to your prayer? Maybe you prayed for something for a week, maybe two weeks, maybe three weeks, maybe three months, maybe three years, maybe 30 years. One thing we need to remember in all of this is that even though we don't always specifically get an answer from heaven to our prayers immediately, the very same words that Gabriel spoke to Daniel, God speaks over our lives today. And that is this. He says, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard. I just want, I, I just want that to sink in for a moment. Whatever prayer you have been praying, God has heard your words. God has heard your prayer. Now, there can be various reasons why our, why our prayers are not immediately answered or that we don't perceive that they are immediately answered. Maybe they're already getting answered, but we are not aware of that. But there can be many reasons why it isn't happening exactly like we had hoped or thought it would happen. One of the reasons why our prayers might not be immediately answered the way we think or they should be answered can have to do with the great controversy between good and evil. And I want you to take notice how in this very passage, Gabriel reveals to Daniel what is happening behind the scenes and why he has not come to him earlier, even though Daniel's been praying for three weeks now. Take notice what he says here in um, uh, chapter 10 and verse 13. He says, uh, well, in, in the end of chapter 12, he says, I have come because of your words, verse 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. Okay, so, so the angel Gabriel has been withheld or couldn't come to Daniel immediately because of the prince of Persia, the prince of the kingdom of Persia. He was occupied with the prince of the kingdom of Persia for how many days, according to verse 13? For 21 days. Okay, a little bit mathematic here. How long is 20? How, how many weeks are 21 days? Ah, three weeks, right? So catch this. Daniel is praying from the first day and he's praying for his people and he's fasting and he's mourning and he's seeking for an answer from God why um, this rebuilding is not going as, the, as it should go and, and why they're meeting so much resistance and such. And then Gabriel comes to him after three weeks and says, you know what? You were heard from the first day, Daniel, but I couldn't come to you because I was occupied with the prince of the kingdom of Persia for 21 days, for three weeks. Now, this is, this is, this is, there's, there's a lot of deep theology in here and that we could explore for a long time, but I'm, I'm going to try to kind of um, unpack this uh, shortly. And this is certainly something that you can continue to study uh, on your own. But, but this is the concept that I want to share with you. Throughout scripture, we have Bible prophecy. But Bible prophecy, when it is predicted, when it is given through a prophet, 
is not necessarily, we can't just take for granted that the prophecy will fulfill without any struggle to actually make it happen. So if we take the, take the illustration or the example that we're dealing with here in, uh, in Daniel chapter 10, there are a number of prophecies that predicted that the Israelites would return and rebuild the city of Jerusalem and the temple. Um, we have prophecies in the Old Testament that said that they would go into captivity for 70 years. Uh, Jeremiah predicted that they would be in captivity in Babylon 70 years and that they then would return to rebuild. So that is a prediction given by God. Now, in this great controversy between good and evil, there's an enemy. Uh, and the enemy doesn't want this prediction to take place. He doesn't want God's people to come back and rebuild the temple. The enemy knows very well that through the Israelite nation, the Messiah is going to come. So he would rather have them spread uh, in captivity in other places than come together and rebuild the city and the temple. So he is stirring up animosity in pe the peoples that were living around there. And so there's this conflict going on, and you can read about this in Ezra and Nehemiah, and, and the rebuilding is not going as it should. And here we find that God gives us a picture of what is happening behind the scenes because there are unseen agencies at work, Gabriel and other angels, that are seeking to bring about this prophecy. They are seeking to work on the mind of earthly leaders to bring about that these predictions will actually take place and that the city will be rebuilt and the temple will be rebuilt. Now, one key person in all of this was Cyrus. Remember, Cyrus was the commander of the Medes and Persians. He, was all, 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 he also, at one point, was the king of the Medes and the Persians. And he was in charge of giving the command. He gave the command for them to restore and to rebuild and to return. Now, in chapter 13, it says that, it says that Gabriel, this angel, is, um, he's working with the king, uh, the, the, the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Um, Cyrus must have been in a situation where he had first given the command, but maybe he had heard rumors. Maybe there were rumors coming about how the, um, uh, the Israelites were going to rebel and that it was maybe not a good idea that they could rebuild their city and their temple. And, that, and, and, and then he's starting to maybe reconsider if, um, if he should go on with this. Gabriel comes and, you know, he's working on his mind and there are angels, both, uh, you know, good angels and bad angels. You can just imagine this battle that is taking place over what King Cyrus is going to decide. And then eventually God's angels prevail. Or, or actually more, more accurately said, God himself prevails over this circumstance because, take notice what it says a little bit further in verse 13. It says, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia, in other words, Cyrus, withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Gabriel is saying, you know, I'm striving with Cyrus to make this prediction come to pass. And then I needed help. And the one that comes and helps is Michael. Now, uh, you can do a little study on who Michael is in scripture. And you'll find out very quickly that it's none other than Jesus Christ himself. There are actually um, four passages that um, mention 
uh, Michael. And uh, I'll just give these passages to you. We're not going to go to them now, but if you want to do this study later on yourself, you can look up these four passages. We find Michael here in Daniel chapter 10, uh, which helps Gabriel. Now, you know, if Gabriel, the highest angel, needs help, who else can help Michael? Uh, who else can help Gabriel but, but, but Jesus himself? So obviously Michael here uh, is Jesus. Michael actually means, the meaning of the word means the one who is like God. There's only one who is really like God, and that is Jesus. We also find Michael in um, Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1, where it says that he stands up for his people in the very last moments uh, of Earth's history. We find Michael in the book of Jude, that one chapter book before the book of Revelation. In Jude chapter 1 and verse 9, it talks about Michael raising up Moses from the dead. Well, who can raise people to life? None other than Jesus. And then we find Michael in the book of Revelation and chapter 12 and verse 7. And this describes the great battle between good and evil, the great controversy. And it talks about how Michael and his angels are fighting with the dragon and his angels. And there was no more place found for, um, uh, for Satan and his angels. The enemy is removed from the direct presence of God. So basically in all of those passages, those four passages about Michael, we find that Christ is victorious over the enemy. And in this instance here in Daniel chapter 10, it is Michael, Jesus, that is coming and helping Gabriel and bringing about the prophecy and bringing about the events that were foretold many years before and working upon the mind of Cyrus to lead him to allow the Jews to rebuild the temple in the city. Now, that's just an amazing passage of scripture. I mean, just mind-boggling that we have a little bit of a um, picture of what is happening behind the scenes. It's like the curtains are pulled back for us. And just for one moment, we see what is happening. And, and Gabriel is saying, you know, for 21 days, this has been taking place and your prayers have been heard. What happens when you and I pray? What happens when we pray, Lord, open our eyes? And what happens when we pray for other people around us, Lord, open their eyes? Is there an unseen battle taking place? I believe so. I believe that there are things happening that, that, that we just don't see with our physical eyes. And we can be assured that from the first day our prayers are being heard, is there a battle? Oh, there's a very real battle happening. And sometimes you get a little bit of a taste for that if you are involved in evangelism, if you're involved in winning souls, if you're involved in giving Bible studies, you can sense that there's a battle, you know, and this person is being convicted by the truth, but they're also being um, uh, persuaded by other voices around them. And, and you can just sense this battle taking place. And that's when we need to pray. And sometimes this battle in, in, the, in the soul of a person can take place for three weeks. Sometimes it can take place for three years. But we need to continue to pray for people but that Michael will intervene, that the Holy Spirit will do its work, that God will come and break the shackles of the evil, the evil one, and lead people to a freedom in Christ that he wants to provide and give to them. It just shows to me and reminds me, these passages, um, the great need uh, of prayer and uh, how this uh, fits in, you know, with, with this great battle between good and evil. So that was Daniel chapter 10. And there's much more that we could explore in Daniel chapter 10. 
but I do want to move to our uh, third passage and final passage. Um, you know, and, and just let me say this, this, this thing before we go to our last passage. It's interesting because sometimes, you know, there are, there are things that are revealed to us um, in this spiritual battle. Sometimes, you know, our eyes are opened to these uh, realities. The eyes of Daniel were opened in, these, in this instance in chapter 10 to the reality of, of the battle. And, and, he, and he finds out why, you know, um, this had taken three weeks and, 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 and he sees, you know, Michael coming through, Jesus coming through. But there will also be many times when we are engaged in God's work on this earth that these scenes will be withheld from us for many reasons that we don't know yet. But let me say this, once Jesus comes back, we will have a thousand years, which is in the Bible uh, uh, described in Revelation chapter 20, the millennium, the thousand years. We will have a thousand years where God will show us so many instances where he has been working on our behalf and we have not been aware of it. I mean, it will be a very exciting period. I really look forward to it. A thousand years where God will show us and reveal to us again and again that he has been with his people. He's been with us. He has heard our prayers from the first day and he will reveal the controversy between good and evil. So glimpses of that controversy we will get on this side of eternity the grand story of the great controversy we will get during the millennium. So it's something you can look forward to. Let's go to our final passage, Luke chapter 10. We've looked at 2 Kings 6. We have looked at Daniel chapter 10. And now we will look at the book of Luke in the New Testament and the 10th chapter. We find that we've found out so far in our time together that it is important for us to pray that God will open our eyes that he will open our eyes to this battle between good and evil. And that this is a prayer that we should pray ourselves. And it is a prayer that we should pray for our uh, loved ones and those that we are reaching out to around us. We have found out from Daniel chapter 10 that sometimes our prayers will not be immediately answered as we thought they should be. Um, God is already answering our prayers, but we don't see the whole picture. And at times God will give us a picture of what is happening behind the scenes, but at other times we will have to trust him faithfully, knowing that our prayers are, are heard from the first day and knowing that there's a battle going on between good and evil and knowing spiritually, having the assurance that Michael is on our side and that he will bring the victory in his time. And here in Luke chapter 10, I want, uh, I want us to read together from verse 17. And uh, Jesus has sent out his disciples. At this point, he's actually sent out 70 of his disciples on a mission. They have gone uh, to uh, preach and to share the truth. They have gone. Uh, they have been given supernatural abilities to heal the sick. They have also been given the abilities to cast out demons. And after they have been on this uh, exciting mission trip. They return and uh, take notice of what they say to Jesus. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. This was something that they were very fascinated by, that, that God had given them the ability to, um, to see this battle between good and evil. And to recognize the evil spirits that are work, at work in people's hearts and minds and lives, but also the amazing um, power
power of the gospel to set people free. So they had with their own eyes, they had seen uh, this battle. They had seen how the demons uh, that were possessing people uh, were cast out in the name of Jesus. This was something that they rejoiced greatly over. And uh, they're sharing this joy as they come back to Jesus. Uh, how uh, they had seen the great battle between good and evil and how the good had uh, overcome the evil. And then Jesus, it's almost like he has this flashback. It's almost like Jesus for a moment uh, is reminded and then reminds the disciples of something that happened long time ago. He says in verse 18, and he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And you know, when you study your Bible, you will find out that this great battle between good and evil, it goes way back. It goes back. It, it, it's something that happened before creation. Um, when Lucifer, exalted angel that is described in various passages in the Bible, uh, when he rebelled against his maker, against God, uh, Lucifer no longer wanted to serve. He only wanted to be served. Uh, Lucifer no longer wanted to love. He only wanted to be loved. And so there's this great conflict that breaks out in heaven. Lucifer is stirring up the angels, and he was able to get a third of the angels on his side through lies and deception. He got them on his side, and they make war against Michael, Jesus, and his angels. Eventually, there's this great battle that rages in heaven. And then Satan, Lucifer, this exalted angel that became Satan, was cast out, and his angels were cast out with him. And so he fell from heaven, just like Jesus portrays here in Luke chapter 10. He fell from heaven. And the fact that Jesus reminds the disciples that Satan fell from heaven is interesting because I believe that that's something that Jesus wants to remind us of as well. We are caught in the crossfire, as the title of this workshop suggests. We are caught in the crossfire. Uh, we are involved in a great controversy. And every single one of us has a part to play in this. I mean, there is no neutral ground to this controversy. There are only two sides. There is Christ and there is the devil. And Christ has two thirds of the angels on his side. The devil has a third of the angels on his side. Humanity, now all of humanity will have to take a side in this great controversy. Jesus reminds us that Satan has fallen. And this shows us that, you know, the victory has been wrought in Jesus. We, if, we if we side ourselves with Jesus, we are siding ourselves with the winning side. Jesus has overcome the devil when he died on the cross, when he took all sins upon himself and he paid the price for our sins. That was when the victory was wrought. It might seem that Satan is in control of this planet. It might seem that he, you know, he's called the, you know, the, 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 the prince of this world but he is a defeated prince. He's defeated foe. He's, he was defeated on the cross. Jesus has risen and he will soon come back. And this world, this is our father's world. There's this hymn that says, this is my father's world. We should remind ourselves of that. Satan has fallen from heaven, Jesus says. And then he says the following in verse 19, he says, behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So Jesus is saying here, not only is Satan defeated, but if you are with me, Jesus says, then 
I will give you all the power that is necessary for you to overcome the enemy. But look at verse 20. This is a good reminder for us. In the midst of all that we're studying here about the great controversy and you, about being caught in the crossfire, about asking God to open our eyes to these spiritual realities, I believe verse 20 is a very important reminder to each one of us. It says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And I believe that it's important for us to be aware of the great controversy. It's very crucial that we pray for God to open our eyes to these things. But you know, there's even something more important according to Jesus. And that is that one day this great controversy will be over and the devil and Satan and sin will be defeated and removed from the universe. And at that time, then the only thing that will remain is God and us in his presence and the new world that he has created. And we can rejoice that our names will be written in, can be written in the books of heaven so that we can be part of the earth that is renewed and where there is no more sin, no more Satan, no more death, and where the great controversy is over. And, you know, this beautiful set of books written by Alan White about, you know, the, this conflict between good and evil, which, you know, begins with, uh, uh, patriarchs and prophets, prophets and kings. And so you hold the whole segment of, of books. It starts with these three words, God is love. And it ends with these three words, God is love. And in the great controversy, our focus should be on Jesus that has triumphed and overcome. I want you to take notice of how Jesus continues in a very prayerful spirit to pray for his disciples and the experience that they can receive through beholding him. I, this, I love this part of the passage, Luke chapter 10, and continuing in verse 21, look at what it says. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good to you in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear and have not heard it. So what Jesus is saying here is right after he, the disciples have come back and they're rejoicing that, that, that the devil is subject to them, that the, the, the fallen spirits are subject to them. Jesus says, you know, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. He's a fallen foe. He's a defeated foe. And then he says, but you know, there's something greater for you to rejoice in. And that is that your names can be written in the book of life, that you can be part of a world where there will be no more great controversy where the evil has been defeated. And then he starts praying this prayer, blessed are the eyes who see the sun. The sun has now revealed himself. Jesus, the son of man has come to this world. He's the son of God and he's the son of man. And, and blessed are the eyes that are able to spiritually see who he truly is. 
Um, you know, you will remember from the story of scripture and from the gospels that the majority of people did not recognize Jesus as the Messiah. The majority of spiritual leaders could not discern Jesus as the promised one. And he's saying to his closest friends, to his closest disciples, blessed are ye, blessed that your eyes have seen what many others hoped to see. And he refers back and he says, you know, there have been kings and prophets that desire to see this, but they have not seen it. You know, throughout the centuries, there have been predictions about the coming Messiah. We have it all the way from Genesis, from the first promise that was given when mankind sinned and God said, ah, through the woman, there will come a seed that will crush the head of the serpent. That's the first messianic prophecy in scripture. And then we have many more that follow throughout time many prophets that have predicted that the Messiah would come. And now he's here. He's walking among them. He was physically with them. And those disciples that were in the inner circle of Jesus, they had the privilege of seeing what many people were looking forward to. And Jesus says, blessed are ye. Blessed are the eyes which see the things that you see. But I believe that that's those same words that Jesus spoke to his disciples 2,000 years ago. Those same words can be spoken to you and me today because blessed are you, GYC Europe. Blessed are you, young person, if your eyes have beheld Jesus as the Messiah. If you spiritually have received Jesus as your Savior, blessed are you. I mean, if you, if your eyes have been open to the great controversy that is raging in this universe, blessed are you. Blessed are you if you realize that, that there's hope for the future, that there's a new world that is coming, that death will one day be defeated. Blessed are you. And don't you want to give that blessing to others? Don't you just desire in your inmost heart that many more people will see what you have seen? I mean, wouldn't it be considered selfish for us to see such wondrous things and just keep them for ourselves? I mean, what is the beauty about seeing something beautiful? Isn't, isn't the beauty uh, part of the beauty of seeing something beautiful, sharing that beauty with others? I mean, you know, I've, I've been married, uh, I married in 2003, and uh, Sylvia is not only my wife, she's my best friend, and what I appreciate is that we've been able to travel the world together in ministry, and whenever we come to places and, you know, we see beautiful things, beautiful nature, or we experience something that is very meaningful, you know what makes it so special? It makes it so special that I have someone to share that experience with. And that we together can kind of look back and say, hey, remember when we visited that country? Remember when we saw that beautiful nature scene? Remember when we met that person? Remember when that happened? You share the experience. The same as when you see Jesus. If you've truly seen him as the treasure, as you, if you have really um, discovered him uh, for who he really is, this is something that you will want others to see as well. You want others to see what you see so you can share that experience with them. You know, it's, um, it's interesting because um, uh, I'm going to give uh, the opportunity for questions in just a moment, but I just want to share a few experiences, very recent experiences that I've had just over the last weeks. 
um, that remind me uh, of what we've been talking about today, uh, that remind me of this uh, battle between good and evil and about the importance of praying for people to see, to see the battle, but to see Jesus in the midst of it all as the conquering savior and friend that they all need. And, um, you know, just um, three weeks ago, um, I was able to witness a baptism here in Norway. And uh, Norway is a very secular place like the rest of Europe, uh, especially Western Europe. And it's not easy to, to you know, for, uh, to, to, to do any evangelistic work. It can be quite tough, actually. Um, but we had this lady and she, um, uh, she decided to be baptized. And her story is quite a remarkable story because uh, it goes back some years, actually, because some years prior to us meeting her, uh, I had an evangelistic meeting in a city here in Norway, and her mother came to those meetings. And um, uh, her mother uh, and uh, my wife, they struck up a friendship and they kept in contact uh, over, over the last couple of years. And, um, and then this lady, she contacts us and she says, I have a daughter that um, I really want her to, to get to know Jesus. I really want her to, to just explore these Bible truths. Uh, and she wasn't a believer at all, her, her daughter. And so we, uh, we joined her in prayer. And, uh, and then she contacted us and said, uh, you know, my daughter is now living in Hønefoss, which is a city in uh, Norway. And she said, do you know anyone in that area that can, that can help her? The interesting thing is that we hadn't had, um, you know, she didn't know where we were living at that time because the evangelistic series was somewhere else and we had been living, you know, different places in the meantime. But the very place where we were stationed at that time or where I was pastoring was the very city that where her daughter now was. So we saw this as more, as co more than coincidence. So we said, yes, we're actually there. So we can, uh, we can try, to, try to visit her, try to connect with her. And that's what we did. We connected with her. And, um, and she was open for Bible studies. And so we, we started giving her Bible studies. And then uh, when we invited her to, to church, she, uh, she came to church and, uh, and she told us something remarkable. She said, this little church that I'm now coming to, some years ago, she said, I was walking by on the street and I saw that church building and there was this voice that spoke to me and said, one day you're going to be part of that church. And she said, this was so crazy because, you know, she was not even um, very spiritually inclined at that time. She had some interest in maybe she knew that her mother was a Christian. And she has some kind of interest to maybe one day visit a church or something. But it was like such a far-fetched idea. And she said it was so remarkable that the spirit said to her, one day you're going to be part of that church. And then not long afterwards, all of this takes place. And she, and she starts coming to our church and and uh, just a few weeks ago, she was baptized. And as she told her testimony, she was sharing how at each step of the way in her journey, it was like God was pursuing her, she said. It was like, you know, every time she had to make a big decision, it was like God was, was what directing her thoughts and, and bringing people into her lives and causing circumstances to take place that just showed her like, this has to be the right way. And uh, as I listened to her testimony, I thought to myself, yeah, that's exactly the unseen battle that she is describing there. How angels are intervening on her behalf. Her mother had been praying for her. And you know what? Mothers that pray, praise God for mothers that pray. <laughs> Maybe you're an answer to your mother's prayer. Um, and if you're a parent yourself, never cease to pray for your children because prayers of parents have great power. And 
angels of God will do things for your children or for the prayers of your parents that otherwise would not have happened. Remember that quote that I shared that angels are waiting for the prayers of God's people and they will act accordingly. So keep praying for close relatives. Keep, keep praying for friends. Uh, at this baptism, her, the mother of uh, Maria that was baptized, she, she was actually present and the mother was just so grateful uh, for what God had done in the life of her, of her daughter. I'll just share one more experience um, and then we'll turn the time to questions. Um, yesterday was a high Sabbath for us in the church where I pastor. Uh, I baptized three people yesterday uh, into our church. And um, I'll just share one of the stories of one of the people that I was privileged to baptize yesterday. Uh, and I think this is something that, that you, you will be able to relate to. And I, I hope this will be of inspiration to you. Uh, this story starts two years ago. Two years ago, there's a church member in our church that came to me um, and said, you know, I really want to give Bible studies. Um, but I, I, just, I just don't know who I can give Bible studies with. He had tried at his work and there doesn't se didn't seem to be anyone interested. And, and so he, uh, he just really didn't know uh, who he could give Bible studies to. And so I said, well, let's pray about this. And so we started praying. And I prayed specifically, and he prayed specifically, that God would lead someone into his life that he could study the Bible with. Uh, this man was uh, from Germany, but he lived in Norway already some time. Um, and so we're praying this prayer. And shortly after, um, on a Sabbath, there's a man that just walks out of the blue. He walks into our church. And um, he um, is about the same age as the man that I had just prayed with that he, some, that he could study the Bible with someone. The remarkable thing is that the man walking into our church on that Sabbath was from Germany, but had moved to Norway, just like the man that wanted to give the Bible study. And they were just so similar. It was like a hand in glove fit for him. And um, he comes into our church and, he, and he's, um, he's um, not an Adventist. Um, and he's just been like, checking out different churches in the city, and he just wants to find a church where he can have a spiritual fellowship. He has not found a place that he feels comfortable with yet, and he comes into our church, and uh, both the church member and I, we immediately recognize this is God's providence, and so he starts Bible studies with the man, and um, not only do they have Bible studies together, but they become great friends, a great friendship between the two, and um, this new visitor feels so welcome uh, in our fellowship. And, uh, so he's getting these Bible studies in German, in Norway, in German language. And then eventually he decided to get baptized. And so I had the privilege of baptizing him yesterday. But what this shows me is that God is actively working and leading people. And when we pray, when we ask, which is the theme of this conference, when we ask God to work on our behalf, so that we can lead others to him, that is a prayer that he will answer. And you can pray specifically, God, lead me to someone that I can study the Bible with. Lead me to someone that I can share Christ with. And you know, God has a way of leading people into your path and providentially opening a way for you to study with someone. And if we are intentional about asking and we are intentional about perceiving how God is leading, then we will see the answer to our prayers. But we have to be intentional about it. We have to be intentional about asking, and we have to be intentional about 
discerning God's action. Because when that man came to church, both that church member and I, we immediately looked and we said, okay, this is your opportunity. If you don't take this opportunity, then you're, you're missing the mark. And so he took that opportunity. So let us pray, but also be aware of how God wants to answer those prayers so that we can share Christ with people around us, that their eyes may be opened to the great controversy, but above all, that their eyes may be opened, that they can see the Son, that they can see Jesus. Amen. Well, let's close with a word of prayer, and then we, uh, we will give some time. We have about 15 minutes left, which we will have uh, time for any questions that you might have, but let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this time that we could spend together today, this morning. I want to thank you for GYC Europe, for this great conference, and for these great young people. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us that we are living in a great controversy, that we are caught in the crossfire, but that we do not need to be dismayed, we do not need to be perplexed or fearful, but that we can trust in you because those that are with us are greater than those that are with them. Open our eyes, Lord, to see a glimpse of this battle. But open our eyes further, Lord, to see above all Jesus and all that he has done for us and is doing for us. Help us to lead others to him, Lord. Make us ambassadors for you, witnesses of the truth that you have revealed to us. We thank you for being with us and we pray and thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you again for choosing this seminar. It's been a blessing for me to be able to share. And now I do want to open up the opportunity for any questions. You can either uh, write them in, in the chat or, I don't know, I'll have to ask our host here if it's possible that you can unmute your mic and ask. I have no problem with that. We're not that many here, I think. So, um, yeah, whatever is best. You can unmute your mic if that's possible uh, for your question or just write it in the chat. So go ahead. All right, we have the first question in the chat. Estera writes the following. Sometimes we realize that we are in the great controversy. What can we do to keep our eyes open to be constant in this attitude? Excellent question, Estera, thank you for that. Um, I think there are several things that we can do. Um, one of the things is um, living with a prayerful uh, spirit towards um, uh, this reality. And, and what I mean by that is like in the morning when you, when you get up and you pray, um, oftentimes we, you know, we pray, um, sometimes we fall into the, in, 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 into a mode of praying kind of the same things. And there's nothing wrong with that necessarily, but sometimes our prayer life can be a little bit um, monotone. Uh, and, and I know this for myself, uh, from a personal experience, like it just becomes kind of like something we do. Um, what I, what I personally have experienced is that when I'm more intentional about my prayers and also intentional about the subject that we've been talking about this morning, that that will also influence my prayers. Like for example, when I'm now praying for people that I'm studying the Bible with or people that I'm trying to reach out to, um, I will, I will specifically pray, um, 
that their eyes will be open to this great controversy. And I will be specifically praying like that angels will be influencing them. Just like the story that I read in, in, uh, in Daniel chapter 10 about, you know, how the angel and Michael were influencing the mind of Cyrus. This is what I'm praying over people. So I believe it has to do with this intentionality of praying for people. And, you know, um, maybe even write it down, you know, get a little prayer journal or something. This can be helpful and write down the names of people that you want to pray for. And, uh, you know, this can be someone you're studying the Bible with, but it can also be someone from, from your class or from your work or, or a family member that doesn't know Jesus yet. And when you write down their name and you are praying for them, um, you also, you know, write down maybe some specific things that you want to pray for, for them, like that they will, you know, that they're in which way that their eyes can be open. Like if you're praying for someone that has kind of shown an interest in spiritual things and you can pray that an opportunity will open for you to study the Bible with them, or that if you give them something to watch, like maybe a sermon or, or something that you want them to, to look at that, that they will actually take the time to do that, that we can intentionally pray that, that opportunities will arise where their eyes will be opened, where they will have an opportunity to see the battle between good and evil. Like, I'll just give you a very practical example. Yesterday, when we had this baptism in the, in the church that I pastor, there was um, several family members of these three uh, baptismal candidates were present, and, and, and some of them were non-believers. And so my prayer yesterday during my sermon was specifically geared towards them. Uh, and I was actually preaching um, on uh, John chapter one and how Nathaniel comes to Jesus and how he was, you know, he was under the fig tree and he wasn't sure about uh, if Jesus was the Messiah. And he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? But then he takes the step when Philip said, come and see. He, he gets up and he goes to Jesus and he experiences um, the presence of Jesus. And so I was praying for these people in the audience. The same time that I'm preaching, I'm, you know, kind of in the back of my mind also praying uh, that they will heed that invitation to come and see. The invitation that Philip gave to Nathaniel, I was actually extending to them, come and see. So um, what can we do to keep our eyes open? Um, I think that prayerful attitude uh, of praying for people helps us. You know, it's interesting because <laughs> when you pray, you're physically closing your eyes, but you're spiritually opening your eyes. That just came to me right now. When you pray, you physically close your eyes, but you're spiritually opening your eyes. You're actually seeing better when you're closing your eyes in prayer. So how can we be, have this constant, um, uh, how can we keep that ever before us? I think by closing our eyes in prayer. We are opening our eyes to that reality. There are also other things um, that, that can help us. I think um, being involved in witnessing, because when we are witnessing, that also shows us our need of, of prayer and it also shows us the reality of the great controversy. So that would also be something I would add to, to be actively involved in uh, reaching out to others. Okay, uh, Anna writes here, we fight in prayers for others, but as we start to fight more for ourselves, more for others, de the devil starts to attack us and our families, daily life, etc. more and more. What are good Bible promises or stories, etc., we can hold on to so we don't fall while praying for others, even when we are under direct devil, the, the direct devil's attack? Yes, um, that's a very good um, that's a very good uh, description, actually, because it is true that um, when we start 
fighting for others, interceding for others, praying for others. It doesn't mean necessarily that our lives get easier. Uh, sometimes it can indeed happen that we will sense uh, that we are somewhat of a target for the enemy. Uh, we do know that God is stronger, but uh, there's no doubt that uh, when we are placing ourselves on the front lines of this great controversy that we can easily be caught in the crossfire. Uh, but, you know, there are many promises that um, God is on our side and that God is victorious and that we can claim. Um, I, think, I think it's important uh, for us to claim these promises because when we are aware of the great controversy, uh, we also have to remind ourselves and make ourselves very aware of the promises that are available to us because a, a mere reality, a, a mere um, uh, knowledge of the great controversy is of course not enough. It's not that the knowledge itself doesn't save us. The knowledge itself doesn't protect and keep us, but it's that it's the promises uh, of God uh, that we then really, really need. So what are some good promises or stories? Um, a promise, let me just share a promise that I, that I often claim. And of course there, there, there are many in there throughout the Bible, but um, in uh, first Corinthians, um, let me just quickly find it here. In uh, 2 Corinthians, sorry, 2 Corinthians, chapter 10 and um, verse 4. Uh, actually, we can begin in verse 3. Um, verse 3 to 5. This is so powerful. Just listen to this. It says the following, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3 to 5. It says, for we walk in the flesh, so, you know, we walk in this life, you know, that's what we've been talking about. This, we have, there's this, this reality that we all see, but then it says, but we do not war according to the flesh. So when it comes to the warfare, the spiritual warfare, there's something more than what we can see with our physical eyes. Verse four, for the weapons of our warfare, remember we're in a great controversy and there are weapons that we need, spiritual weapons. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Wow. Okay, so there's some strongholds that need to be pulled down, both in the lives of others and in our own lives as we are assailed by the, by the enemy, as, um, as you say, Anna, in, in your question there. Look at what it says, verse 5. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. This is something that you can personally claim. When you have temptations... Um, that often start in the mind, right? Because you're tempted to do something. So it often, you know, the great controversy happens right here. You know, often that, that's, that's the starting point of this great controversy. It's actually not so much, well, it is also the actions, of course, but the actions flow from the thoughts. So where the great controversy starts is in our thoughts. We can either be discouraged or tempted, you know, um, uh, even when we fight for others, that, mean, that, that, that makes us a special target. So many times we can be tempted ourselves. This text is so powerful because it says that we have a mighty weapon in God and that God and Christ are able to pull down strongholds in our minds. Every, every thought can be brought into captivity to Christ. So when I'm tempted in my mind, I'm tempted with anger. I'm tempted with lust. I'm tempted with um, just, just, you know, everything, all things. We're tempted with discouragement. Um, 
then I can go to Christ and I can say, you know what, you, you, sh- you, you promised that your weapons are mighty in God and that every thought can be brought into captivity to Christ. So this is a promise that, uh, there are of course many promises, but that's a promise that came to my mind at first when you asked that question, Anna. And I think that that's a promise that, that, um, that we can never um, use up. It's not like, oh, I've used this promise 10 times, I can't use it for an 11th time. You can continue. Uh, to come back to that promise. And, and I believe it's there for us and, and it gives us that strength that we need. Let's go to our next question here. Uh, Priya says, when Jesus asked the disciples to pray for and with him in Gethsemane, but they were not able to pray, but were feeling so sleepy and tired that they cannot pray. How can we do in a similar situation to pray when we are not able to pray, but we know we have to pray? That's an excellent question. Um, you know, I think, I think we can all relate to that, that sometimes, you know, we, we, we pray and um, we don't really feel that our prayers are getting, getting any further than the ceiling. It's almost like they bump into the ceiling and come right back. I think we've all experienced that. Sometimes we're tired. Uh, sometimes it's just merely physical exhaustion that affects our prayer life. Um, I know that personally, when I've been very busy and I'm tired, it's hard for me to pray because it's hard for me to concentrate. And my thoughts, you know, they wander away. And um, actually, Alan White talks about bringing back our thoughts. You know, sometimes when you pray, they wander away. I'm sure you've experienced this. You start praying and then suddenly you start thinking about things and you start thinking about other things and you're like oh, oh wait a minute i was praying so you bring back to the prayer and you pray again some you know and then it starts wandering again it's very easy for the mind to wander um what what can help is for some people it helps to pray out loud so um you know even if you're by yourself in your room uh, maybe maybe um, try praying out loud that can help um, also a promise that we can claim in scripture, um, that relates to your question is Romans chapter eight. And I'll share this promise with you because this is a promise that has helped me many times. Romans in the eighth chapter and verse 26. Uh, I cannot tell you how many times I've claimed this promise. It's uh, it's kind of a promise I've come back to again and again. Romans chapter eight and verse 26. Listen to what it says when it comes to prayer and 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 i know i i think we can all admit and and i can admit this as as a pastor as an evangelist prayer is difficult at times um it's like i mean you're talking to someone you don't see you know it's like at at times in the beginning when when you start a prayer life it can even be awkward but but the more you get into it the more intimate this relationship with god is uh the more natural it becomes um but it doesn't mean that it necessarily is always easy. I mean, prayer can be quite difficult at times, but, but listen to this promise. This is very helpful. It says in Romans chapter eight and verse 26, likewise, the spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So what this promise is telling me is that even when I pray, I don't even know, I don't always know what to pray. Maybe even my prayers are, you know, biased by my thinking, which is not always correct. Like, 
Um, and that's why it is very important for us to be open to God's spirit. And even when we are praying to say, to ask for the Holy Spirit to, um, to help us to know what to pray for. And also when we're not able to put everything into vocabulary, to, to, to lean on this promise in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, that the Spirit is uttering things for us. So it's like the Spirit reads your heart and knows that you have this great burden on your heart, maybe for this person or maybe for something personal in your own life, some sin you want to get rid of. He knows that. And it's like the Spirit is, is like uttering this for the Heavenly Father with this beautiful vocabulary, you know, the, far better than we could ever utter it. And that's something that we can lean on and something that we can trust in. Because for us many times, um, maybe you have something, you know, that is in your heart, but you're not able to put it into words. Uh, maybe there's something that you want to pray, but it's hard for you to kind of get it out in the way that, that, that you're satisfied, you know. And, and then you can lean on that promise, Romans 8, 26, the spirit helps in our weaknesses. Um, and what the disciples did there in Gethsemane when they were falling asleep at the most crucial and critical moment, um, that is something um, that, that just shows us the weakness of the flesh. And the flesh is weak. You know, there's no doubt about that. And we can all find ourselves in, in a similar situation at times. We wish we had a more fervent prayer life. But, you know, we are sleepy, just like the disciples. But also we need to remind ourselves, not only that the flesh is weak, but that the, the spirit is powerful and that we have somewhere to go and, and that the spirit wants to help us in our prayers. We're not, it's not like we're in this battle alone. It's not like that we face this you know, prayer life all like you have to get it together, your prayer life. No, the spirit will enable you to have the prayer life that God wants you to have. So that was Romans chapter eight, verse 26. So uh, yeah, I hope we can lean into that promise. Do we have any other questions? I see we are running out of time, but if there are any other questions, we'll take one more before we wrap up. All right, I don't see anything coming to the chat. Well, I do wanna thank you all for, for joining. Um, and uh, I do pray uh, for, for us all that uh, this conference uh, has been a blessing and this workshop has been a blessing and that we'll be able to take some of these things that we've uh, been learning uh, with us uh, in, our, in our journey. So thank you so much for, uh, for joining and uh, it's 10.30, so I'll give, I'll give our time back to the host now. Thank you, God bless. Thank you so much to everyone for joining this session. I think we all have been blessed with this. Um, thank you so much because this topic make really sense for our daily lives. There is a final question that maybe we could solve and then we can end the session. Yeah, I see someone asks here, uh, uh, Priya asks, could you again give the verse for the weapon uh, in Corinthians? That's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse three to five. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Okay, thank you so much. And can we make a final prayer and then finish? Yeah, let's do that. Heavenly Father, thank you once again, Lord, for being with us. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. Uh, thank you for this conference, this online conference uh, that we've been able to be a part of. Uh, Lord, we just want to thank you for the many blessings that you've granted us.
And um, as we continue our journey with you, Lord, we pray that you will open our eyes, that you will open the eyes of those around us. Lord, we're living in serious times, living in times that uh, we can truly see that uh, prophecy is fulfilling before our eyes and that you are soon coming back. And we look forward, Lord, uh, to that great day. Help us to prepare ourselves and those around us. And thank you, Lord, for um, the great gift of Jesus and what he did for us on Calvary. Help us to embrace that gospel and to share it with those around us. And I pray for every single person on this call out now that you will, in a special way, uh, intervene in their life, that they may sense your providence and that you will empower their prayer life and know that they are not alone, but that you are by their side. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.